Well, good morning to everybody at home. Um, I've pre-recorded this, um, as you can tell, uh, so that I can be in the building this morning. I can do some of this talk and also lead a discussion in the back hall. If you're new with us, my name's Louise and I'm one of the leaders here at Portswood Church. And um, yeah, it's my great pleasure to be guiding us through a bit of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. We're continuing on what we've been doing on this in Matthew's part, uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6 and 7, which is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And last week we saw how Jesus potentially sought to correct the mindset of those listening to his teaching on the kingdom of heaven. Jesus launched his uh, sermon with an invitation to one and all into his kingdom, perhaps uh, including many of those that lots of people would have thought God had rejected or wasn't interested in. Um, and then because of this, some people perhaps were starting to think, well, ooh, is this sort of an anything goes sort of kingdom? But um, Jesus was really clear, as we learned last week, that uh, that's not what he intended. He's really clear on saying the Old Testament is not irrelevant. Uh, it's definitely worth reading. Um, he was saying it's more about perhaps the way that it's read or the way that's interpreted and that that might need some further thought. As people, people said, as sorry, as Peter said last week, the people who studied biblical law really worked very hard to understand what it meant, as people do today. Uh, they were out to guide people, so they knew how they could keep it. Um, they themselves worked really hard not to break it, and in doing so, created endless further laws um, to kind of guard them from breaking any of these laws. Um, and yet, Jesus begins this section with these words that say, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus appears to create the puzzle. On one hand, everyone is welcome in the kingdom. The kingdom is here, he's the king, it's open to all. And on the other hand, no one is good enough to enter. And Jesus gives, follows this with six examples where the citizens of God's kingdom need to be a whole lot more holy than the most holy people, person that anybody who's listening to him that day knows. And for each one, he says the following words. He says, you've heard it said like this, but I say this. For over a thousand years, people have been debating this and have said this or this or this. But I say this, and it's really astounding. And it was shocking to people. They said, he teaches as one with authority because he was willing to say, I say this. And that was really unusual. Normally people would refer to a previous teacher and their wisdom to back up their argument. But Jesus just says, no, I say this. And last week we saw, as he started with um, working on the command, sixth commandment, uh, you shall not murder, found in Exodus chapter 20. Jesus pointed out that it was not enough to say, um, I'm not a murderer. But as we saw last week, Jesus digs into the root of murder, the underlying kind of thing that's going on in a person's heart and mind. It's an idea that someone is better than someone else. And that will ultimately lead to I'm better than you, you deserve to die, and I don't. 
And he addressed the underlying issue of this as being anger in a person's heart. And this isn't just being cross, but the word is more about a sustained, intense kind of seething anger. That's someone who holds a grudge and is bent on revenge. If you find yourself uh, with this much hatred, Jesus is saying, you've already committed murder in your own heart. And this focus on a human, on the human condition, on our hearts, is characteristic of Jesus' teaching. It's not just about what we do on the outside, the rules we live by, but God looks at the heart. And this reflects the biblical teaching found in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, when it says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at, that the outward appearance. People look at that but God, the Lord, looks at the heart. It is here that the real change needs to take place because when our hearts are changed, everything we say and do is transformed. We talked two weeks ago about uh, the illustration of an apple tree. An apple tree will easily produce apples, but if you're a pear tree, it is impossible. But what Jesus is offering is a transformation from our very core, we could say our DNA, the heart of us, so that we can produce good spiritual fruit. Jesus emphasised this when he said to the Pharisees who questioned him over keeping outwardly clean a requirement for the law, he said, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. It appears that the teachers of the law were more interested in justifying themselves before others than really being honest before God. They kept what is called the letter of the law, which Jesus referred to, I think um, if you listened to last week, the letter of the law, but they had neglected the spirit of the law. And this drove Jesus crazy. For example, uh, to understand this, it might be helpful for me to give you a couple of examples. For example, you might find a notice that says, don't walk on the grass. But to get round this, you might think, mm, well, it says don't walk, but what about if I skipped on the grass? Or if you um, find yourself in your house and your parents say, um, I, I don't want you watching any TV before you do your homework. And so you might get around this by saying, well, she did say TV. What about YouTube? Maybe I could just watch a bit of that. When we follow the letter of the law, we might have kept it legally. We might have done exactly what we were told, but we know deep down that what we did was wrong. It's a bit like when people uh, carry on business in our, com in our country but refuse to pay tax because they found that if they register their company somewhere else, they don't have to. It's a sneaky way, a loophole, we might say, in the law. Um, back a while back, you might have heard this recently in the news, uh, there was a rule about not mixing in groups, say no Christmas parties. But you might kind of think, well, it says no parties, but what about if we had a meeting, that a work meeting, that also involves some music and some alcohol? You get the idea. 
So this week, we're going to look at the hot topics of the time, adultery, divorce and oaths. So let's read them now. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. It is said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, even by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So following on from the sixth commandment on murder and the inner heart being anger, we have adultery and the inner heart being lust. Like anger, it isn't a sin itself, but a natural emotion. So looking at someone and finding them attractive isn't a sin. But similar to the word used for anger that suggests this kind of prolonged grudge and deep rage that would potentially lead to murder. So here, Jesus' words have the sense of deliberate intent to lust. This is not a passing glance. This is leering. This is seeking out visual images to arouse yourself sexually. And Jesus says, if you do this, you've committed adultery in your heart. You're being unfaithful to your partner with somebody else, even if you haven't physically done what you're thinking about. Jesus follows this with some extreme solutions with how someone might deal with this, uh, using the words cut off or gouge out what is causing you to sin. And some people have taken this literally in the past, but I think regretted it afterwards and thought that their interpretation might have been wrong after all. So there's two ways we can interpret this. Firstly, Jesus is stressing, he's making a very clear point that if you're tempted to uh, give in to lust, then you should make every effort physically possible to avoid that situation. If you need to put security on your computer to work in a place where someone is, if you find someone at work really attractive and your mind is always going where you don't want it to go, maybe you should change jobs. But this isn't the long-term solution. And that's where the second interpretation comes. Jesus is saying, if you start cutting things off, really going for it, 
you'll see that the real problem of sin is in your hearts and you cannot cut your heart out because you'll be dead. What we need is real transformation. We need new hearts and the Holy Spirit's power to change. Jesus next looks at the next hot topic, which is divorce. In Jesus's time, from what I've read, the reason for divorce were endless. Um, it could be anything from how your wife looked, how her health was, whether she could have children, perhaps if her eyes were too close together or she'd become ill, if you felt that she was lazy or she just didn't do exactly what you told her to do or you just didn't like her that day. And here's one. If her family moved into the town where you lived to be near her, you could divorce her. That's slightly overreaction to the in-laws, but it happened. But the point is, the Pharisees were interested in this. They quizzed him about it. The reasons that divorces were acceptable was debated. But most agreed that if he was not happy with her, she was out. Now, the idea of divorcing your wife wasn't really seen as wrong. It was the husband's choice. The wife couldn't do it. She was his property. Now, what did they focus on? It wasn't the ethical nature of this arrangement, the consequences for women, the impact on the community, the impact on children, of the whole society as a whole, but rather they focused on the certificate of divorce. This is what he must do. And that's it. And why must he do this? It was because if the woman remarried, her new husband did not want the old husband turning up, trying to sue him for her property. And Jesus comes in here and he doesn't unpick the nature of divorce, the complexities of the cultural setups of the time, but he does draw them back very clearly to the fact that they're avoiding what God has asked them to do. Now, he doesn't do it explicitly here, and there are other passages that we can look at. But, um, and Christians do disagree quite widely on the rules for divorce and remarriage, so it's well worth investigating that for yourself. But Jesus wants the listeners here again to go beyond the letter of the law that will mean that they technically haven't done anything wrong, but really they have done something very wrong. He helps us to manipulate his words and to use them as a weapon against others or to justify our wrong actions. The next topic that Jesus picks on is oaths and the treatment of others in business or family. Again, oaths were permitted by the Old Testament law, just like divorce was. But what about if you don't want to keep your word? What then? Are there ways around this? Could I technically make an oath, but break it and still not break any of the laws? And if I could do that, wouldn't that make my life easier? If I can't lie, if I can't bend the truth a bit, then how will I persuade people to do business with me? 
if I can't say I'm going to deliver, but really I'm not sure if I will, then how will anyone commit to my business? Now, A's were interesting because we find stuff all about them all over in, in, um, in, the, in the law. The only unbreakable oath was one that used God's name. And of course, the Jews weren't allowed to use God's name. So a whole bunch of names for God were used instead uh, or places he might be like heaven or the temple or the sacrificial offering. And there were great declarations that people made in swearing these oaths that they would do this. I swear by heaven and earth that I will do this. Um, and people were very sneaky in their wording because uh, just like the other things we've talked about, um, the Pharisees spent a lot of time trying to work out which oaths were binding and which oaths, which oaths didn't count. So, for example, if you said, I swear this by Jerusalem, it didn't count. But if you said, I swear this towards Jerusalem, apparently it did. And again, this involved hours of debate and discussion, just like those to justify women as property to be uh, taken and then turn away. Hours of debate were invested in helping people lie. And Jesus cuts through it all once again and just says, look, guys, let your yes be yes and your no by no, no be no. As fellows of citizens of the kingdom, we need to be people of integrity, that people can trust our word. Jesus picks up again and again how people try to justify selfish actions through his word. Just like those first listeners, we need to be really careful that we don't let the spirit of the law be reduced to the letter of the law, that we don't decide who's in and who's out, who's good, who's bad, what's right, what's wrong, and play judge and executioner over ourselves and other people's lives. When debating with the teachers of the law over whether it was right to heal and therefore break the law on the Sabbath, he said, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Of course they would, because a sheep's life is at risk and more than that for them financial implication is at risk and then he goes on to say so how much more valuable is a person than a sheep when the pharisees tried to test jesus to get him to organize what was the most important law and otherwise which of these ones do we have to keep which of these ones can we just sort of leave by the wayside, which ones are getting into trouble, which ones won't, which ones can we sort of manipulate a bit. Jesus replied with, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. With this, those listening immediately launched into, but who's my neighbour? Who do I have to be nice to? Who do I have to love? And who can I therefore hate? And we'll have more on that next week. The law of love comes from our hearts, our hearts that are changed by God. 
through the power of the Spirit transformed over time. And when we read the law, we read it through the lens of love, of love God and love my neighbour. We gain access to the transforming power of Jesus when we admit that we need him. He's the only one we heard the other week who fulfilled everything. As he died on the cross, he took your sin and mine. Our underlying need to justify ourselves and to look out for number one, he removed. He fulfilled every requirement. He took our sin. And to those who accept him, he gives the free gift of righteousness so we can freely enter the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be right with God through Christ. Remember what Jesus said at the beginning, unless our righteousness is above the most holy and amazing person that we know right now, we will not qualify to live in God's perfect world. And deep down, we know this is impossible. We fail every day. But what is Jesus saying? Through me, every follower has the right to the free gift of righteousness, the promise of a transformed heart and the presence of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to live a life of love. A life that loves you with a passion and loves others. And when we look at your word, as we wrestle with it, as we discuss it, as we agonise at times over it, may we hold the law of love first, to love you and to love our neighbour as ourselves. May we never be responsible for adding yokes of burden to people's lives, but only freedom that comes through you, Jesus. Jesus, you promise that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. May we know the truth of that as you transform us from the inside out and enable us to walk in your ways so naturally because they flow from you. Amen.